Uh, yeah, so I think um, we've been informed we have three weeks after today. So um, we've, we could probably expand <laughs> on these topics forever, but we'd like to address more of kind of what you're thinking about and, and, um, and questioning and so forth. So uh, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, this is my email address here. If you just send um, any questions or thoughts that, uh, that you've been having over the next uh, three weeks, we'll try to maybe shape what we're talking about um, towards the direction of, of what people are thinking and, and um, questions or meditating on things like that. I ask him really hard questions. Really <laughs> there will be no answers, but, yeah. but uh, we might, yeah, we might deal with them. So uh, definitely send us some email. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, and so as, uh, as usual, and it's a good thing that, that we're actually wrapping up class because I'm running out of scientist prayers. Uh, you would think there would be lots of them on the internet, but there aren't. It's lots, so, of, lots of them in archaic English. Yes, but, uh, exactly. And so uh, anyway, uh, this morning's prayer is a very short one. It comes from Despina Katsudo, I think is how you pronounce her name. She's the project coordinator with this organization called Equipping Christian Leadership in an Age of Science. And uh, she works at the University of Durham in St. John's College. And this was written uh, as part of a special collection of Advent prayers um, that were offered during COVID. I don't remember the exact year, so there's a little bit of editing to kind of remove COVID references, so that's part of the reason why it's short. So as usual, I will read the white parts, you will pray along in the blue parts, okay? Almighty God, whose faithfulness continues through all generations, we thank you for the gift of science. May we use it with wisdom and discover with awe the world you have created. As we await the return of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we've talked about a number of different science things. Um, uh, last week we talked about superconducting. Uh, this week I, I want to talk about, um, in, in my corners of the world, sometimes people lament the fact that we live in a world that no longer creates cathedrals. And so people look at the fact that we, you know, like the, the, uh, a thousand years ago, we were building these gigantic buildings. Sometimes they say, you know, they look at that architecture and engineering and say, we don't even know how to do that anymore. Like there are aspects of that, right? And a lot of times I see a lot of secular people, a lot of atheists who look at that and say, you know, they believed something we don't believe. They um, felt something we don't feel because we don't actually know how to motivate ourselves to, to do this kind of thing. And um, there's truth to that and it's, there's some, a lot of big questions we could ask about that. But there's something else um, that is interesting here and this is where I saw a comment um, the other day uh, from uh, Andrew Cote, who's a fusion engineer, and he says there's no better analog to cathedrals in the modern world than our mega-scale physics experiments. Thousands of individual careers dedicated to constructing colossal works of cutting-edge engineering to better know the mind of God. So, as far as I know, Andrew Cote is not a person of faith, but he perceives in this effort something akin to that, the same thing that motivated uh, people a thousand years ago to build cathedrals. 
the same search for mystery, the same search um, for transcendence, the same uh, desire uh, to know and to be caught up in a, a work towards that end. And so I want to talk about a couple of those things. Um, we'll talk about uh, today the Large Hadron Collider. And um, so these are massive um, works uh, of engineering. And um, they have <laughs> this kind of surreal uh, beauty to them. But what the La Large Hadron Collider is, um, you can see this kind of uh, the ring on the map here. And this is, um, I think, 17 miles um, circumference um, laid out on, the, on this map. And it's uh, roughly 500 feet down. This is uh, embedded in the depths of the Earth. And what you can see is actually a smaller ring down towards the bottom that, um, and, and a whole system that, that takes the hydrogen gas, pulls the protons out of it, and gradually accelerates it up to incredible speeds before putting it into the large um, collider. And um, what happens is uh, at the energies they get those protons up to, they're going something like 99% of the speed of light um, their protons are doing 11,245 revolutions per second. And so they are, this is this carefully controlled thing, and as they, they send those protons around this ring, uh, they send them in opposite directions so that they collide into each other over and over and over and over again. And what you can see situated around the edges of this collider are what's called different experiments. And these are uh, different detectors, and they're looking for different things. And these experiments are run, are, they are these self-contained projects, these massive engineering teams that are working to build particular collectors that detect particular events. Now the Large Hadron Collider, um, in the years it's been on, very soon after it, um, it got started up um, in the early 2010s, was able to detect uh, the Higgs boson, the, what's called in the press the God particle, this uh, really com key component of, um, of our understanding of the universe. And so these are actually creating um, conditions. Uh, here's the tunnels underneath. Here's uh, some of them. What they're they're using um, uh, magnets um, that have to be superconducting, like we talked about last week, and so they have to be um, dropped down to temperatures that are colder than that of interstellar space. So they're creating conditions in um, this construction that have never been seen since the moment after the Big Bang. Right? To put it in poetic terms, they are trying to get as close to let there be light as possible. They are trying to understand the first moments of creation. And so they are creating conditions that replicate those moments that exist here and at the beginning of time and nowhere else in the universe. That we know of. That we know of, unless there are some aliens out there doing similar things. And so um, these different experiments, these uh, different particle detectors, this is what they look like along, the, uh, along this track. Um, they are these massive, um, incredible, uh, like complex things that they, they uh, bring in here. They bring all kinds of um, different technologies to bear on building these 
to detect these um, incredibly small particles working at incredibly high uh, speeds and high levels of energy. And when they had a collision, they, you'll see like recordings they take like this. They look where do things fly, what comes out of that. And those recordings allow them to see what, um, what are predictions of the universe, how they match up with what's actually going on. So these are, um, like I said, these involve um, thousands upon thousands of people working at um, this incredible uh, degree of engineering and, and technology. People from um, all kinds of different careers, right? So it's not just the kind of white lab coat scientists or the scientists who are sitting in their office like, you know, doing some abstract math on paper. Those people are there too. But you've also got all kinds of engineers that are involved in this. Um, everything from welders to um, information technology workers. Uh, to keep this stuff running, to make it run. They pull in people from, uh, I think, just this specific one we were looking at, the Atlas experiment, pulls uh, from uh, 6,000 different members, including 3,000 physicists from 257 institutions in 42 countries around the world. These are massive coordination projects. And so one thing that I want to say about this is, um, what it, I think uh, that it highlights, uh, these are the largest um, and most difficult engineering projects humanity has ever done. Um, these require an incredible amount of coordination. Um, they work with um, all levels of, of society, all kinds of careers, all kinds of, of um, types of work. And um, and they, they're not just on location, they're actually involving people all around the world who are coordinating on, on these things, studying them and working together, planning out their projects and so forth. And another thing I want to point out is that this actually um, breaks down what we typically think of as the divide between science and technology, right? So we talk about science is searching for knowledge about the physical world, technology is applying knowledge to the physical world. Mm -hmm. Well, these things only work, uh, this is our, our most intense science that we've done to date, and this only works because of incredible technological engineering, right? So our technology is fueling science, which fuels technology, which fuels science. These two things are actually deeply connected and wedded in this, um, in this work. And so anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to point out here. This is something that humanity is doing that is really incredible. It's, um, in I know. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, there are so many things aesthetically about it and maybe deeper about it that actually do resemble those kinds of uh, religious efforts and projects um, from ages past. So something to meditate about. Yeah. In their time, this was advanced technology also. Building of some of those cathedrals. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, I there there's a Catholic publication a few years ago that put out a um, put out an opinion piece. It said uh, the Catholic Church used to be like Silicon Valley. Why aren't we now? And basically, they were saying the things we did were like this. The things we did were these massive uh, projects of engineering, startups, and so forth, where we were working to actually improve and elevate 
human life and our understanding of our place in the universe. Somewhere along the line, they said, we ceded that to the secular world and we stepped back and we thought that wasn't our job. And maybe there was something wrong about that. Lots to think about there. Um, so we'll go ahead and read our scripture and get into discussion uh, for today. So, From Exodus 35, 30 through 36, verse 1. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan the ability to teach others. So every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Amen. All right, so over the course of this class, uh, we started off talking about the three paths. <coughs> of conflict or relevance and relationship, the, the ideas of how science and faith can work together. We've been pursuing the relationship angle. What does it look like if science and faith are deeply interconnected? And so we've looked at this idea that science is a divine calling from the, our, our beginnings. Um, scripture uh, calls us into this work to seek out understanding of creation and to use that uh, to participate in the work of God and to improve the world. We've looked at the idea that science was a religious mission, that, out, that the scientific revolution emerged from this deeply felt religious conviction among devout religious people that actually science was a divine calling, that God was creator, that uh, creation was a revelation of God, and that we were called to explore and investigate that for the glory of God and for the bettering of life. Um, we've looked at the idea that because science was a religious mission, um, that the science that we've received actually emerged um, and was shaped by faith. And this was true in terms of liturgy, in terms of spirituality, in terms of core values that actually remain deeply embedded in the scientific process today. And so um, we've been working uh, on uh, looking at these intersections, these, um, these connections, how science actually um, integrates with our, our spirituality, our faith, even our theology. And for the last few weeks, we've been circling around a question that John Roder uh, articulated last week, and that is, um, does science remove the need for God? So I want to open that to the room. What are your thoughts? Okay. Before you can get to the same. <laughs> that might take a very long time. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, so the idea is that if I don't view God as necessary, then mm. science removes the meaning. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it, I think that's the first thing you have to deal with is to say, do I or do I not believe in this and then work on that? Yeah. In my it feels like the answer is yes because science discovers things that we used to think God, this is how God yeah. is working and now science is explaining well it's not, you don't really need God, here's this natural explanation 
for why this works. Mm -hmm. So it feels like the answer is, well, yeah, the more the science discovers, the less room there is for God to be the explanation. Instead, it's science. It's some natural yeah. cause and effect. Unless you see God as the creator and sustainer of life, then it feels like an absurd question. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, back here. Yeah. Well, and our pattern is God the Father, and then think of us as parents. We raise mean to raise our children so that they are self-sufficient, not excluding God. Yeah. But we want to teach them the tools. Yeah. To not always have to be in mom and dad's lap. Right. Yeah. And so <laughs> 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 Emily. Yeah, that's a good uh, a, a good way of thinking about it. I, we want our kids to have agency, right? That, like, um, and you don't you don't want your kids um, maybe to you know cut you out of their lives, but you do want them to be able to develop the kinds of things that you're you're trying to convey to them, right? Um, and if they do that, you look at that as a, a success, not a failure. Yeah. Thinking about God in terms of the source of wisdom, not just knowledge and the creator of reality. Yeah. Science is really great until it does something like gain-of-function research that it can't undo, like yeah. a worldwide pandemic. And then sure. we're like, oh, where was the wisdom? Yeah, yeah. Why were we doing this without being, <clears throat> did something we were not able to undo? Yeah. So the need for God, I, I think there is a need for God because we need wisdom. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we need something. Yeah. Um, so I went for a walk with one of my sons yesterday, and successful, in a sense, doesn't need me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, "I love talking with you, right? And connecting. It's yeah. so great." One of the needs for God is real-time connection with Him, yeah, and conversation. Yeah. And He lives in me, and no amount of science will ever take that away. Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, the guy that wrote the Grand Design, mm -hmm. Stephen Hawking. Hawking. Yeah. And he said that you cannot disprove the existence of God, but he's no longer necessary. Right. And he's, you know, one of the foremost uh, yeah. physicists, scientists, understanding of the universe that ever lived. Right. You know, uh, but at the same time, it's as if to say, what we needed was understanding and now that we have it yeah we no longer need a source of understanding outside ourselves we have it yeah so he is no longer necessary as if all we needed was an understanding of physics yeah go here and then over there and then yeah it's like a teacher versus a parent like just because your teacher teaches you everything doesn't mean you don't need a parent to have a relationship with. Right, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like even if we know everything, we still need a relationship with God. Right. Because he's like our father. Yeah. Uh, over here and then. Yeah. Well, it seems like kind of an arrogant statement to me. It's, it's, science is the work we do to try to discover the laws of nature. Yeah. We call that, that God has put it in place. Now that we've discovered 1.3% of them, we, we no longer need God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I say it. 
Yeah, uh, I think John, and then. Okay, yeah. I, I think the counter to this would be the fact that in science, the deeper you go, the more you understand, and the and the more productive it becomes. Yeah. However, as you go deeper in science, rather than solving, you discover other things. Yeah. And the more complex it gets, the deeper you go. Yeah. So that points to something beyond our ability, mm -hmm. and we need. Uh, and and the question arises: Where did it all come from? As has been mentioned. Yeah. I think, you know, I think if we were not living in a fallen world where everyone did everything in accordance with what was the most logical or reasonable, then the answer is yes. Mm. Except we don't. Mm. Right. That's not where we live. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where all of us sin and do not act in accordance with what's best, either ourselves or others or what have you. And so yeah. I think if God only exists to provide knowledge and revelation, then on a long enough timeline, that will figure it all out. Okay. But that's not the only purpose, the only thing God offers us, right? It's, it, it's a holistic, you know, live life into the fullest, right? If, if yeah. we didn't have a soul, if we only had intellect, and not a long enough timeline, yes, yeah. that's the answer. Yeah. But that's not the answer. Go here and then there. The, um, uh, I, I saw <coughs> the movie Oppenheimer this, this weekend, mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, the quantum physics, the, the science behind the super weapon, the bomb, yeah. um, was mostly centered in Europe yeah. in the 20s and 30s. Um, and if it was all about, you know, what's the best way the science can create this splitting of the atom and the bomb, um, there would have been a unified kind of effort. Yeah. But something caused yeah. one part of the world to pursue it at a very rapid pace because they were afraid of the morality of this science, you know, quote, getting in the wrong hands. So it was, it, it's the morality, it's the ethics, it's the non-science. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that there was some recognition that this science in the wrong hands is bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a Christian, that, that shows me there's there's way more than science in this world that needs to be yeah. you know, addressed. And it, but it was that desperate concern that this science in the wrong hands is going to be very, very bad that drove yeah. the Manhattan Project, that drove mm -hmm. Los Alamos, that drove Trinity, that drove the bomb, mm -hmm. ending up first coming. Yeah. And, and the governments that had a very different worldview. Yeah. People. I was just going to say, I think the Bible once says that our the most intelligent person on earth is no view of God's intelligence. Right? We think we know all that. We are so far below that. Yeah. And the Bible also warns us that we will worship the Creator instead of the Creator. And I think we, science does that. I mean, they know all and have the 
this all figured out. We basically started worshiping what the science has. I don't want to say developed, but has proven and something created it. Created it in the beginning. We're just we're just figuring out the atoms and how to do all this stuff. It got already created. We're just we're just figuring out how he's a he's right. the one that made it work. So. Well, we don't, and that's not limited to um, to what we find out in science, right? We do that with everything. <laughs> we do that with everything that we create. We find a way to to inappropriately use it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, this question feels analogous to saying once we discovered hydropower and. Uh, solar panels, we no longer need water or sunlight. Right. <laughs> I like that. Oh, spell that out. What, what's the What's the problem with that? Because the this, the energy that drives those things uh, right. is, you know, again, like I said earlier, the God being the creator and sustainer of life. Yeah. Just because we understand some of the things He created better doesn't eliminate yeah. that need. Yeah. yeah. I guess if you think the only purpose of God is to be a God of the gaps, is to fill in right. while we're trying to figure things, don't understand why a volcano works. So we're going to invent a volcano God until we right. understand lightning. Well, then you don't need him anymore. But I don't read this to understand why a volcano works. I understand, you know, I'm, I'm, there are other questions like the meaning of life and how do we treat other people and what is our purpose. And, right. Right. Uh, so we may not need God to answer some scientific questions and, and to be a, a temporary God of the gaps, but there's there are plenty of other things outside of science that we don't remove the need for other, you know, there, there are other questions that need to be answered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But maybe on the flip side, I mean, yes, I agree with everything that's been said, but and I definitely believe that science has diminished our desperation for God. Okay. Our, like, everyday um, longing. Um, yeah. I don't know, for for a sustainer. Like, yeah. we don't need to pray for rain if we've got an irrigation right. system. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, we right. really, like, we have some family that lives um, in West Texas on the farm where technology has definitely improved generations of cotton farming. Yeah. And even hearing there some of the ways that they've been able to um, yeah, remove a desperation. Right. Um, it's, a, it's still a very faithful community, but there is a difference in yeah. what need looks like. It is a little bit more um, theological rather than right. like immediate need sustaining yeah. an immediate need sustaining God. Yeah. So does science actually just to the fact that most times we believe in God and the Bible out of fear, the science just makes us eliminate the fact that we actually have to choose to believe in something. Because if you look through the beginning of the Bible, most oftentimes Israel struggled to follow God, but we to, to accommodate when they were fearful. Mm -hmm. The more science becomes illuminating and allows us to understand what works, it takes that fear away. Yeah. So instead of being motivated out of fear to believe God, we actually have to ask ourselves what we believe and want to follow. Yeah. So it becomes more of a personal responsibility to say what and why we do. I mean, that's at least where I stand. 
separates the question rather than let it be your I, I think that's a good point. So the, the idea that uh, if we live in a state of fear or need or want uh, where God is our only recourse, we have to choose God because because we have no other option. When we have more, when our immediate needs are addressed, we're not in a state of fear. Now our orientation towards God is more a matter of choice, more a matter of spiritual development, more a matter of actually what we want. goes to the parenting thing right like when your kids no longer depend on you uh, in that immediate way um, the relationship becomes a lot more a matter of choice and uh, a lot more dynamic did you have okay I'm missing oh wait this might be a a question that would be relative to this and that is God had done a lot of people a lot of good things for Israel after he delivered them from Egypt. Yeah. Why did they keep going back to Baal and forsaking God? Why do we forsake God and go to science? I don't know if that's related or not, but why? You leave one when you know it's been good, and you go to something that's, that's mm-hmm. decidedly bad, I mean, where you throw your kids into a furnace. Mm-hmm. I mean, why did they do that and that may be relative to why we yeah. are going science rather than Yeah, it's a hard, I, I don't know the answer. I've certainly noticed in my own life that my motivation for spiritual disciplines is a lot easier yeah. to, for it to be there when I'm not in a good spot or there's something bad going on. And so it takes intention and discipline to yeah. recognize I still need God even right. in times of plenty or good and somewhat related uh, you know I, I define a need as if you don't have this you would die and yeah. so like the physical need of food like we need food it's not always a felt need so if I'm getting three square meals a day I might not 
feel like I need food, but right. I, the, the state of being is always that I need food, right. whether I'm getting it or not. Just but you may treat it differently. You might throw out some food that you just don't like uh, because you, you you don't feel the need. Yeah. And you know, there's people in the world like that who don't have food yeah. still. And then you have anybody who's had a child with cancer and they feel out of control, right? But how ironic that Hawking, yeah. who clearly science had not figured things out for him, yeah, right? He. Um, had a tragedy and yeah. was very science didn't help him. Yeah. So it's it's really um, ironic that he was so arrogant about it about it when he himself science could not help him. Um, so I just yeah. think it's it's interesting hmm. how in the world we do find that sometimes we need God more when a, a catastrophe occurs or we're in need. Yeah. But um, somebody like that who clearly hmm. needs that you would think would have gone up. Science doesn't fix everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Well, we don't need God. Maybe he was mad that God had fixed things for him, and so he was <laughs> turning to science. Yeah. Uh, is there someone? Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. I, I read the other day that uh, in the last 25 years, there are 40 million fewer people going to church. Yeah. And while I'm sure that number is not true, I think it is directionally correct. Yeah. So, uh, why is that? And does science remove the need for God? Those people don't quit going to church because of science. Mm -hmm. There's something else. Huh. Maybe with science, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, we have a we have a veil problem. So maybe science provides an excuse in, in uh, those cases for something we already wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, that was it. Does science, maybe the question we're arriving at is, does science remove the perceived need for God? And maybe that really does happen a lot. I don't perceive I need a God because I, right. I live inside this world where yeah. everything's taken care of for me, really. Let me, um, so let's... Uh, reframe this a little bit. So we've talked about uh, a bit about this. Why do we need God? Uh, what I've heard uh, in, in the class, and I think what Hawking was working with, is we need God to like put in the middle of our explanations, right? Like, how did this happen? Dot, 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 these things happen, and oh, that's where God fits, right? So that's where Haw what Hawking was looking at, and if he could pull God out of there, then that was it. But we've said several other things. What what were the other things that we, we've we've talked about? Purpose, yeah. w uh, wisdom, morality, morality relationship. Re relationship. Um, I think I heard there's a few other maybe. Salvation. Salvation. Um, question why. Yeah, yeah. The qu why? Yeah. That that why and how is good. Uh, Help. What's that? Heaven. Heaven. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. So uh, it's interesting when we when we do um, uh, as George was saying. I think it does feel like science removes the need for God, especially for just a lot of things like that we've focused on in the last century. Right. We have a question of origins. Right. But previously we said God did this. That's how we talked about that. And now somebody else says no. It happened. This is how it happened, right? And so that changing of how just 
uh, eliminated God from that explanation. So it feels like, wow, they just pushed God off the, the table, right? But in, to some extent, yeah, it really shows, highlights how much we, in that case, have collapsed God into a sort of um, just a simple explanation, just filling in a gap, right? God of the gaps that um, you mentioned before. Um, so we have at least several different needs for God. Yeah. Um, one thing that came to mind, when our son was in the hospital and they were telling us on a daily basis, he's not going to make it, he's not going to make it. We had a doctor from Israel one night say, um, I can tell you what this CT scan tells us and what it shows, but why? Mm. And so I think, too, sometimes we put too much into what science shows or proves tells us yeah. and sometimes you need God to show you yeah. that's true yeah yeah traditionally we've we've perhaps looked to God for explanations we've looked to God for solutions praying for rain or whatever it might be um, we've looked to God for for purpose and meaning and ethics and wisdom right um, we've Two of those things, explanations and solutions, science seems to uh, have some some input on, right? Um, are there any other needs for science? Do we turn to science for anything other than just explanations and solutions? Weapons. Huh? Weapons. We okay. <laughs> Defense. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's it's it's a yeah. I need to feel in control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Security. Yeah. So you, you, you look, go back and you look around the globe and you see where science has brought flourishing where there was not. Yeah. Okay. And so what does God wish for his people, for his children? It's for them to be able to flourish yeah. wherever they are. Yeah. So God uses the mechanism of science, wisdom, intellect, yeah. Curiosity, those kind of, kind of things to produce crops that crops were produced before. Right. To clean water that was never cleaned before, so that people can do that. So, yeah. so the idea is that we need science, yeah. technology, engineering, those kind of things, those gifts from God to be able to help the world flourish and see God in everything. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, one thing science does is it removes long-term ambiguity yeah. and mystery. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of people crave uh, is they don't want to deal with the mysterious or the unexplainable right. because it removes some sense of security. Yeah, sometimes we don't we so, uh, both sides of that. Sometimes we don't want to know because we would rather keep like some kind of mystery or ambiguity and sometimes we don't want the mystery. We want to like uh, squeeze it all out. Uh, yeah. Um, something that's I'm not fully formed in my head yet, but maybe science at some point, like we're at now, um, changes the need, right? Uh, the old need was defined as religion, right? Yeah. Do certain things and you get certain things, right? Yeah. That whole custom. So maybe now it's changed radically where it's more about love, um, faith, ethics, etc., right? Mm -hmm. Treating other people. And maybe the world's not there, right? Because a lot of the mm. world is, a lot of the world thinks religion in the former way, and not the way a lot of That's us. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We the 
perhaps a lot of the rejection of religion is coming from a certain understanding of religion. Um, as, as someone that grew up Catholic, I can certainly mm -hmm. relate to that. I'm not disrespecting Catholic because mm -hmm. it's a great faith, but I saw a lot of that really yeah. growing up through the age of 20. Yeah. We, we don't need science. Okay. We want the things science can produce, but we don't really need it. If not, look at the Aboriginal and other tribes that live at a certain level and have for forever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you because I'm gonna say that they are doing uh, a science and a technology uh, of their own, and it does look different than our science. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but many of these have not changed for millennia. Yeah. Uh, over there, and then yeah. Yeah, science can court correct us. Uh, we're we're um, at the end here, so I, I want to um, just kind of throw out a, a thought experiment. So here are some of the re the reasons I had thought of, like why science feels like it need, it removes the need for God. But suppose that um, you're struggling with a, a question, a concern, and it's it's affecting your personal life, it's affecting your your work, it's affecting all kinds of things, and you decide that you are going to pray. Uh, intensely about it. And so you um, go into your closet and you spend um, an evening praying. And the next day you see something that, that brings to mind uh, scripture and you suddenly realize that that scripture answers that whole question you were dealing with, the whole struggle you were dealing with. And so you go to your friend and you say, you know, uh, I had a problem, I prayed about it, um, and the, the solution was given to me. Prayer works. <coughs> Would you then say, I guess prayer works so well, I no longer need God? So I think that's a kind of ridiculous idea, right? And But why is it ridiculous? I, I think it's, it's because we assume that prayer gets its power from God. We don't think of prayer as having a power separate and apart from God. We don't think of prayer as a secular activity. We think of it as a religious activity orienting us towards God. We think of the things that we expect to receive in prayer as coming from, from God. So when we ask um, whether science removes the need for God, um, we removed God before we even asked the question. We already assumed science was a secular activity. We assumed that it was an activity that worked without God, that worked apart from God, that could deliver us something apart from God, and that ultimately was not connected with our religious or, or spiritual nature at all. That's exactly what we've been challenging in this whole class. I don't think scripture allows us to take that assumption. We've looked at scriptures such as Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Um, we've looked at 
Psalm 8, which uh, talks about our humility before God, and yet it is that in that within that humility that God has given us this kind of scientific and technological power. We've looked at how Jesus and Paul talk about science and what we can observe through science as coming from God, as being revealed by God, as being part of what testifies to God, whether you are secular or religious. In Acts 14, this is what uh, Paul says. He's, he's going to um, people who are not Christians and he's pointing to the fact they know the living God who made the heavens and the earth and sea and everything in them has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He's saying that the workings of the world, the natural world, are themselves a revelation of the grace of God. We've talked in this class about the idea that the scientific method, the scientific process, all of that emerges from a religious understanding. It was framed originally in terms of a religious understanding. We've talked about how the laws of nature work because um, they were created by God precisely so that we could understand them. And so, and we've talked about the fact that what we discover in, in that process is actually the wisdom and the knowledge and the glory and the power of God. So I would argue science does not remove the need for God. Science is an outpouring of God's grace. It's from grace to grace. And it never left God. We would never have faced this, um, that struggle if we hadn't given up the idea that science was a religious project in the first place. All right. I'll be sure that uh, you send your questions to Micah. Um, we'll your back up. Um, oh, yeah, all the way. Got, like yeah. I said, we've got three more meetings, and uh, we can get those questions in advance. It'll give us time to prepare. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Good job.